This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Come March, winter is starting to feel long in many portions of the Northern Hemisphere. And for many gardeners, the spring and summer vegetable garden is beckoning to us. Nikki Jabour is an enthusiastic gardener in Halifax, Nova Scotia, a gardening zone which might challenge many a dedicated gardener, especially in winter. But not Nikki. Host of the radio program The Weekend Gardener, co-founder of the online Savvy Gardening Forum, an award-winning, best-selling author of beloved gardening books over the past decade, including The Year-Round Vegetable Gardener, Nikki Jabour is a vegetable gardening evangelist. She joins us today to share more of her enthusiasm and vegetable gardening knowledge, in particular some of the season-extending skills she shares in her newest book, Growing Undercover. Welcome, Nikki. Oh, back at you. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. This is certainly a treat for me. So take us back a little bit, Nikki. Who, who were the people and places and plants that grew you into a woman for whom vegetable gardening evangelism would be your calling in life? Gosh, what an introduction. I tell you, that's, uh, I need that on a t-shirt, <laughs> vegetable garden evangelist. <laughs> what a calling. Um, I grew up in a city, you know, and I'm really lucky that we had a, a little summer place on the ocean and that my parents, even though, uh, you know, they weren't gardeners, they, they always saw the value of putting in a vegetable garden. So we did that. Did you put your vegetable garden in yet? That's the question yeah. you know, everybody asked by late May here on the East coast of Canada. Um, and yeah, we did. We always put a vegetable garden in and, you know, let me be clear, this was not a productive space, but every spring, you know, they dutifully tilled the soil, they pulled the weeds, they planted seeds and seedlings, uh, and then they watered probably for the first couple of weeks until things popped up. And then after that, I think, you know, looking back, I kind of feel like they left it up to the garden to survive. And, you know, by the midsummer, it was pretty weedy, but it also gave us our favorite meals of the summer. And, you know, looking back, mm. you know, I still remember that, how exciting it was to go out and pick the, you know, yellow wax beans, which are a favorite uh, here in Canada. Um, you know, we sometimes grew green beans, but it was always yellow beans. And my mother would steam them with butter and salt. And it was just, you know, that was a meal in its own, the first beans of summer. Yeah. And the carrots, you know, the carrots smelled so good, like dirt and fresh carrots do and cucumbers and peas. So, even though it wasn't um, maybe the most organized space, it wasn't succession planted, and it really only gave us a little bit of food, it did introduce me to the fact that food tastes so much better when you grow it yourself. Mm. And I was hooked from a very young age. I loved that space, and I, was, I took it over by the time I was a teenager. And you know what? I, I never look back, and I've never not had a garden since. So... Tell us where exactly in Canada you are for people who aren't familiar and give us your, you know, if you have an equivalent of a USDA zone or, you know, what your lows and highs are across the year, because you live in a pretty rugged zone, <laughs> Nikki. Yeah, I live in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is on the east coast of Canada. So I always tell uh, my American friends that if they want to know where I am, you go to New York City and you drive north about 12 hours, uh, and then you'll hit Nova Scotia. <laughs> Nova Scotia, the province, is almost an island. It's just joined uh, to the rest of Canada by a small little landmass. And so, you know, we're quite surrounded by the ocean, which is nice in that, you know, you know Maine might be more southern than I am, but, you know, it's colder and they get more snow because we just, where we're surrounded by the ocean, it, it sort of interacts with the weather. It makes it more temperate. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're probably about a zone five, five B equivalent, I would say. Here in Canada, I call it zone six. And, you know, my backyard, I'm lucky in that it faces towards the south, you know, it's pretty sheltered with a lot of trees around the property, which I always think uh, give me a little bit more of a microclimate. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so we're pretty lucky that way. But, you know, let's be clear, we get, we get a lot of snow. There's, there's been several um, snowstorms we've had in the past handful of years where I wake up and, you know, you expect it six inches and you've got a yard. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. snow definitely can happen. So I just didn't want that to mean the end to the vegetable garden harvest. And happily, it doesn't have to. Yeah. 
And and this has been one of your um, kind of mission statements in your work. But before we get to that, describe your journey from, you know, being a young person for whom the uh, your, your family modeled a vegetable garden in summer and the value of fresh vegetables and these kind of lovely, delicious memories around real food. Mm. Uh, when did you sort of decide to take this on as your life's work, yeah. Nikki? You know, I, I can honestly say the path was not clear, <laughs> not clear at all. <laughs> you know, for me, gardening was a hobby when by the time I was a teenager, you know, for Christmas, my mother, my parents would give me a grow light. I would get a gift certificate to the local garden center, some seed packs they had picked out, probably not things I actually wanted to grow, but <laughs> they certainly got me lots of uh, books and seed packs and tools and you know, I, I had taken over the family vegetable garden, but at that point, I also kind of branched out a bit and, and started growing cut flowers and dried flowers for, you know, creating beautiful little dried flower arrangements. And I also learned that all those herbs, all those tiny little bits of fragrant greenery in my mother's spice cupboard were from plants and I could actually grow most of those. And I worked at a bookstore when I was a teenager and, you know, on my breaks, I would grab all the new gardening books and head back to the little back room and just flip through all those pages. And there was one that I had to buy right away called the Harris Smith Illustrated Book of Herbs by Patrick Lima, who lives in Ontario. And he had such a poetic way of writing. And I still have that original copy of that book. And it just really encouraged me down that botanical pathway. And, you know, I, but it, honestly, it was a hobby for me. And I went off to university. I got a degree in English and history, uh, also, also passions of mine. And in the final year, I was sitting in the middle of a French history class. Uh, it was summer because I was taking an extra class just to finish up a bit earlier. And I was looking out the window and there were these uh, people creating these beautiful gardens on the university campus. And I thought, gee, that looks, ah. looks amazing. And then it, it occurred to me, I could actually maybe study horticulture, maybe you know, even though I was a city kid and I never had really thought about horticulture as a career, but may maybe I could. And um, this is before, you know, just as the internet was coming about. So it was hard to look things up like that. Uh, but I learned that, you know, there is a university in my province that you could study horticulture, the agricultural college. Mm. And as mm. soon as I finished that degree, I, I headed off to agricultural college to study ornamental horticulture. And, um, you know, it was fantastic to be with like-minded people studying plants. And it's amazing how when you finally study something you love, it's, it's just so easy. You know, like it made sense right. to me. Just, you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. It's no longer work, yeah. right? You stop even noticing the time and the effort. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that was amazing. And I mean, when I graduated from there with my horticulture, I, I got a job right away working at a seed company here in Halifax, which is actually the oldest seed company in North America. They've been around for, I think it's almost 170 years. Wow. And, um, you know, about a year later, a chance telephone call from the local newspaper. Uh, they had asked um, me if I could write an article on growing trees and shrubs for the maritime provinces. And, you know, I was working at the seed company. They knew I was considered a horticulturist and expert. And so I wrote it. And then they asked if I would write a column after that first one. And, you know, I never thought that I would turn my, you know, history English degree and be able to combine it with my horticulture. But all of a sudden right. I was writing a garden column and I was really only in my early 20s. <laughs> and that eventually morphed to magazines, a radio show and books and, and your show. And here I am. <laughs> And here you are. Okay, so you're in your early 20s. Yeah. You're in Halifax. You're working for the seed company and you uh, you get your first entree into writing. Take us through the next couple of years and when does uh, the radio program come in? And I don't think we've actually mentioned that, but Nikki is also the host and I was very lucky to be a guest uh, um, early in the fall of 2020 on her program called The Weekend Gardener in um out out of is it out of Halifax it's out of Halifax but also uh, Ontario as well several stations carry it here yeah yeah. So take us that that next couple of steps and and how is your own garden growing at this point, mm. Nikki? Well, um, you know, so I started writing a, a newspaper column and I honestly I was still living at home at that point having graduated from university mm. twice and not being super uh cash rich. <laughs> <laughs> I was living at home, soon to be married and so I, I still had the family vegetable garden and a big deck, you know, um that I could grow on. But soon, you know, I got married and you know, at that point we didn't really 
really have a house. We just had a small deck garden. And then we moved to Kentucky for a couple of years to set up. Well, my husband works for a seafood company and still does, but we set up the world's largest inland lobster holding facility in Louisville, Kentucky, which is the hub for UPS. (laughs) So I lived in Louisville for a couple of years. And at that point I was gardening. I, I would fill our beautiful little deck at our apartment. And I had grow lights. I don't know why really. It's kind of silly when I only had a little deck, but I was still gardening and I was still writing because I could write my columns and I could pitch to magazines from anywhere. Um, So that was quite freeing, still being able to do my work at home in Louisville. So we were there for two years, came back home, bought a house. And within the first week, the the garden went in. The first, you know, garden, which was, I think, about two beds, um, four by eight each. Just a small garden to start because I was also eight months pregnant at that point. (laughs) And yeah, and then soon, you know, I took over the backyard. We dug a garden. It got bigger. You know, we dug a second garden. That got bigger. Um, You know, the garden, like any garden does, it's morphed a lot over the years and evolved. Mm -hmm. Um, It's now, it went from being an in-ground garden to like loose raised beds, free-formed raised beds. And now I have, you know, over 20 um, hemlock wood-framed raised beds along with polytunnel. And even though, you know, it's winter, it's cold, as you mentioned, um, you know, this is, this is a beautiful time of the year for me. It's, it's pretty laid back. It's the most relaxing time of the year of being a winter gardener because this is the season when the raised beds are filled with a variety of cool and cold season crops, but they're covered. Cold frames, mini hoop tunnels, straw mulch. So the garden right now, um, you know, it's just harvesting. I don't have to worry about the slugs or the deer or the flea beetles or the cabbage worms. And if I want a bunch of carrots or I had a lettuce, I just wander up the 30 or 40 feet to the garden and I pick what I want. Um, you know, there's no weeds. I don't have to water. Um, so it, it's a lovely time of the year to be a gardener because at this point, I'm just harvesting. All the work was done right. and everything is just kind of holding in their little season extenders until I pick. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about that, but of course that that is true. Yeah. And deer are not a problem for you in winter because of the cover. Is, is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I mean, we still have them, but because of the cover. So what year was that, that you moved into this garden and that is still your same garden? Describe, you, you have described a little bit about how it's Southern facing and you have big trees. You have this nice little microclimate. How much, how much space are you on and how many years has it been in this place, Nikki? Well, um, so the space is just under an acre. Um, Technically, I'm still in the city, although we're just on the outskirts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we moved here, the backyard was fully wooded. You know, it was a very small little awkward slope of a backyard. But the top part was very flat and large, but wooded. But the trees, you know, were dying, um, spruce budworm. And so, you know, it took a couple of years because, you know, I I came back and, you know, I had a baby almost right away. And then I had another. And so we cleared away the dead trees trees um, and we cleaned up the backyard and leveled it out and and built a much larger garden up there that was about 30 feet by 50 feet and then we built a second one about the same size taking up pretty much all of the space we could Um, and then you know probably around six years ago now I I needed a garden upgrade Um, and so we cleaned out the whole area and re-leveled it and then built all of these wooden beds. And, you know, when we first put that garden in, I, was, I remember standing up in there after spending weeks building this garden and filling these beds with all my old soil that I had saved. And, and it was done. And I was up there by myself for the first time in weeks. And I thought, how on earth am I going to fill all of these garden beds? Right, right. Yeah, it only took about a week, honestly. It didn't take long. <laughs> right. It, it is amazing how what looks big when you, when you start yeah. all of a sudden gets small when all of your <laughs> um, plant babies and plant dreams fill it out. And it was interesting in growing undercover to to read your note that that upgrade in 2016, when you went from sort of eight loose raised beds mm-hmm. to 20. And so um, I love how your garden has grown with your life, which has grown with your your books as well, and how this garden has served to be, you know, the the laboratory and um, kind of writing partner for for your work going out into the the larger world. It has for sure, At what yeah. point 
Yeah. And a lot of people yeah. ask me, and like, I get asked a lot about the fact is how do you eat all the food from your garden? But where you mentioned, like, it's a lab for me, for my books, for my work, for my, for my curiosity and vegetables. So, you know, there's never like a giant glut of any one type of vegetable. So mm. it's pretty easy to stay on top of the harvest because there's always lots of little things, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, and, and so with the, you have a family of four. Yes. And an extended and family do- that shops in the garden as well. <laughs> I would bet. I would bet. And so, um, but you must grow pretty much all of the produce you, you eat. We do grow a lot. And, but I mean, there's certain things I don't always grow enough of, of course, because I would need more garden space if I grew enough onions or potatoes, for example, or sweet potatoes, things like that. But I do grow pretty much all of our greens and herbs, of course, um, as well as the root crops, a lot of the root crops. Um, You know, yeah, we, we, we probably grow about 90, 85 to 90% of our food more in the summer of course, when there's also the tomatoes and the beans and the peppers and the squash and the cucumbers, um, you know, but the great thing is we can still buy a lot of that locally grown here in Nova Scotia in our supermarkets. Um, So even if I can't grow, I don't have any heated structures. I might have a greenhouse, but I don't heat it because I want to keep everything I do simple and inexpensive and well, as environmentally responsible as I can so that it's other, something that other people can do as well. I'm not going to go, you know, build this fancy big greenhouse that most people aren't going to have the space or maybe the budget or the time to build. I want to do things that are simple and easy and, and that save money for me and other people. Right, right. And this is very clear through all of your, um, all of your work, your books. And uh, when you mentioned this two year time frame, you were in Kentucky. One, I was um, kind of taken by how different a climate that must have been for you at the time. And then, of course, that growing on a deck really gave you some insight, I think, that shows through in your books on what it is to grow in a smaller space. So, when did you write your first book and describe for listeners that book? Because that, that really kind of sets the tone for the kind of pragmatic, but kind of luxurious vegetable gardener you are. Well, um, gosh, uh, that's a fun description. I love it. Well, the year on vegetable garden was my first book. And I, growing up, I always wanted to be a scientist and a writer. Those are my, my dreams. And I never thought I could marry those things together, but you know, it was kind of a chance as so many things in life are. Um, and I had my radio show by this point, I think we were probably maybe year three, because it's been about mm-hmm. 14 years now. And yeah. I had interviewed uh, an author, Perlene Madigan from Story Publishing. She's a, a, an editor there, but she's also had written a book called The Backyard Homestead. And it was doing so well. And I thought, well, maybe I could ask her to be on the radio show. You know, like I was just trying to learn the craft of radio and who could I interview and all these things. And, and so I asked her and she's like, yeah. And, and, you know, we really hit it off. I loved her book. You know, I've, I'd always been a fan of storybooks, but we just had such a great conversation. And then she said, you know, you could pitch me a book. And I was like, oh, what could I, what could I write about? Like in a book, um, you know, I'll have these cold frames and stuff. <laughs> and she's like, oh, cold frames. And <laughs> so we started talking about, you know, extending the season and how I got into it and what kind of devices I use. And she goes, yeah, that's, that's a book pitch right there. You know, so I, I got the book contract. I started writing. Um, and to me, writing a book is actually the easiest part of the whole process. You know, you get to lay out the book and, and write it and, and, and kind of like um, share your expertise and that of other people. And to me, it's so much fun to write. The hardest part is, is organizing the photography because, mm. you know, and, and for story, they take their time. It's about a year for writing, a year for photography, and then almost a year for layout. So that's why their books look so good. They put so much work and, and creativity into it. And my gosh, so a year for um, photography, you have to grow everything. And, and, you know, for a book, it can be a lot of things to grow for demonstration purposes. Yeah. And then they have to be yeah. grown in cold frames, mini hoop tunnels, you know, all the different ways that you talk about in the book. And so that's always more of a challenge for me. It's fun, but it's a lot of work. Nikki Jabour is author of The Year-Round Vegetable Gardener, Veggie Garden Remix, and her most recent, Growing Undercover. She joins us this week to share more of her enthusiastic vegetable gardening evangelism. Stay with us. We'll be right back for more with Nikki after a break. It's the first week of March, a calendar month dedicated in the United States to women's history. 
One day and one year ago, on March 3, 2020, my first book, The Earth in Her Hands, 75 Extraordinary Women Working in the World of Plants, was published into this world after nearly two years of research and writing and production. It was an incredibly proud moment for me, and I'm so grateful to all of the support you have provided to the book and its many messages of hope and equity, of beauty and grit and great purpose and agency modeled by the women in the book. I am also so pleased to share with you that The Earth in Her Hands went into its second printing in early 2021. I am humbled and excited to share this book about groundbreaking work led by women around the world with many more people in 2021, readers and audiences and gardeners alike. Thank you, as always, for listening, for reading, for supporting, but mostly for being caring and conscientious gardeners in a world that needs you. We're back now with Nikki Jabour, mother, gardener, educator about all things vegetable gardening based in Halifax, Nova Scotia. As we come back, Nikki shares encouragement and thoughts for people who might have come to the garden in 2020 for the first time or for the first time in a long time. This was the year of the vegetable garden. It's the year everybody, <laughs> everybody became a gardener. Even my sister. I mean, I'm shocked, but she did. Um, you know, and, and everybody grew vegetables. They grew herbs. They grew flowers. You know, they grew them indoors. They grew them outdoors. They did it for food security, um, you know, for food, just, just for variety, to taste different flavors. They did it for fun because they were home. They did it for mental health, for their physical health, to keep their kids occupied, to teach their kids something. Whatever the reasons, everybody came to the garden this year. And, you know, I think the message that I really want to tell people is that, you know, some people, they send me a lot of notes on Facebook and Instagram, and they're like, well, you know, I'm really not a very good gardener. My tomatoes didn't do well this year. You know, I can't grow them, I guess, or my lettuce failed. And, you know, I always tell people, you need to approach that a little different, differently and a little, you know, with some realistically, really, because I can mm-hmm. tell you, not everything you plant is going to thrive sometimes. <laughs> and it's probably not your fault. Sometimes it's the weather. Like last year was a terrible year for tomatoes for me in 2019. And that's just the way it went. You know, sometimes it's a pest or a plant disease or the deer go through your mm-hmm. fence. Or sometimes mm-hmm. it's a different factor, but don't assume that you can't do it. Try again. Yeah. I am still trying yeah, again. Yeah. I still kill plants every year. And the only way to think about it is a composting opportunity. So (laughs) I mean, there's just no other way to think about it. So don't take it personally and don't be afraid to try again. Don't blame yourself. (laughs) Right. Right. And, and that's why I I really like to refer to it as a garden practice that like it, it is a skill that you learn. It is a relationship that grows over time and you get a feel for your, your site and which, which crops you, you do love to grow and what is your temperament. You and I were talking before we got started recording, you know, and, and, I am a lazy gardener. <laughs> I, I am. And so there, the, everything doesn't always work out, but I still love the relationship of it. And if I get, you know, 15 salads and uh, sliced tomato sandwiches in the summer, well, then I am lucky and happy. So, you know, I, I think that idea of just it's practice. So if it didn't work out this year, try again try again. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, and that, that includes whether you're growing in an in-ground garden, in pots on your deck or in raised beds, there's lots of different ways to grow food. You know, just look at your space before you start. And with any plant, you're trying to put it in the right place. We all know that mantra, you know, plant your mm. trees, shrubs, mm-hmm. perennials in the right place, your vegetables too. Most of them need lots of sunshine, you know, so look for the yeah. right spot. And that's just going to increase the success you, you have. And then it's going to increase your happiness too. Right. And this is one of the things I love about your suite of books is they are really, really working to set us up to be successful in some of these um, areas of gardening. Give us a quick roundup. Um, We've heard about year round uh, vegetable gardener. And then um, give us just sort of an abstract summary of the next two 
and and that I think creates these nice building blocks for growing undercover, which we'll dive into. Yeah, well, the next one was groundbreaking food gardens, and this was an idea pitched to me by Story Publishing um, because they wanted a book that really kind of brought together lots of different ideas and plans and designs for food spaces. Everything from a, a super tiny apartment balcony to an you know if you've got a plot in your urban garden or if you have a backyard with lots of space. So I basically stocked seventy two of my favorite food gardeners from around the US <laughs> and Canada and the UK. And I asked them, you know, how do they grow food and, and what do they like to grow? What are their favorite varieties and what are their secrets? And I also included my own plan in there as well. But um, it was it was so fun to talk to those people and learn from them. And then Story had these team of illustrators that created these lovely designs. Um, so that was it was really fun to work on that. And I still got lovely notes from people now who tell me I did this design in my backyard or, you know, I, I use this container garden one for my deck. So that's exciting. Um, and then I worked on a passion project, which was a veggie garden remix. Uh, and like year on vegetable gardener that also won the American Horticultural Society book award, which was exciting. Yeah, well done. Oh, thank you. I got to go to Washington and <laughs> meet all the American Horticultural Society people. It was so fun. But that book was to me a celebration of immigrants and global foods and all the stuff we can grow in our backyards because, you know, I grew up with your quote unquote regular vegetables, but there are so many different vegetables and herbs and edibles we can grow in our backyards and front yards. And so that's what I wanted to focus on. You know, my husband is an immigrant from Lebanon and I really have tried for over 20 years to grow a lot of foods that his his parents, his family would recognize. Things that are often imported into Canada, but that grow just fine here cucumber melons, za'atar, Lebanese varieties of tomatoes, so many things like this. And it's been so successful for me that I then kind of said, well, I also love Japanese food and Indian food and, and Mexican cuisine. And so I tried to grow a lot of those ingredients as well. And honestly, like the successes far outstrips the failures, even though I'm in zone five in Canada. Um, and, you know, my, my garden has become a global vegetable garden and that makes me super happy. And it just, there's always so much flavor up there. So that's the whole premise of that next book. And then of course uh, that came out in 2018. And then my new one just came out growing undercover, which has been, uh, which has been another passion project. It's so exciting. And it really builds on the year on vegetable gardener 10 years later. And even I, I hope it gets people to realize that you don't have to spend a lot of money um, to extend your season and grow more food. But then a lot of us too are doing this fun thing, especially in it was given 2020 situation, we're, we're growing in greenhouses now and polytunnels and domes. And I mean, even in my own province, there has been a greenhouse boom. Like people are putting in these backyard greenhouses. They're doing all of these projects they always dreamt about. And I hope this book becomes a tool for them that they can then, you know, learn how to use those spaces effectively and efficiently. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I, given the timeline for the story books, it, this book clearly was in the works well before we all went into lockdown and decided to invest more money and time and effort into our own homes and gardens if we weren't that kind of person prior to March 2020. And so this book has really landed at a, an opportune moment. So, you know, how did you decide to take on this book? And for you, if you had to state your your goal for this book in, in one sentence, what would that be? I live in an organic province and I have, we've been organic for many years. So you probably have noticed that I, I don't suggest any pesticides or things like that in my no. books mm -mm. because I don't use them. I've never used them, um, yeah. you know, and yeah, using covers is such a, an easy way to help you know, grow more food and, and do exclude some of those pests. But for me, I think the whole goal of this book is, I think to show gardeners that there are really are a lot of easy ways to boost production. Um, you can reduce pests like cabbage worms on your kale plants or broccolis or a flea beetles on your arugula. And you can extend the season into winter. I didn't want this to be a book that people would say, oh, is this another winter gardening book, you know? Yeah, no, yeah. no, not that at Ew, all. I'm glad, yeah. I'm, glad, it, it, I'm glad it gives that impression yeah. because I was worried that people would think that. But yes, I talk about extending the season, but I talk about even growing in summer and how you can, you know, prevent bolting in lettuces and start your seeds and seedlings when the weather's hot and dry. And my gosh, the past 10 years, our summers have turned 
hot and dry where, you know, growing up, I couldn't really grow peppers very well. Now I can grow like rare varieties of Thai peppers that, you know, require longer growing season than I ever imagined I would have because of climate change. So, um, you know, I now need to think about, well, how can I protect some of my other vegetables that don't want heat um, and, and still make sure they grow healthy uh, and produce well. So this really covers a lot of different types of garden covers for every single season. So it's not like a winter gardening book. It's a book I hope will help guide gardeners just to be more um, effective and maximize production all year round. Yeah. And you give so many good uh, specifics on, um, you know, going from the tiniest of little cloches <laughs> to cover your spring seedlings and and get them acclimated and growing along, you know, all the way up to the fancy greenhouses and really well-built, expansive polytunnels. It went as far as you giving us some information on how to build raised beds, but pointing out that if you are trying to be organic, do not use treated lumber. Right. Like that is something to pay attention to. And I, I really appreciate that because in a time when, you know, our water quality, our air quality, our, our climate crisis, our pollinator declines, uh, not just pollinators, all insects, right. uh, you know, these things are really at the forefront of many gardeners' minds. Well, you know, I, I mean, it, it, the truth is we're in the middle of a mass extinction. Yep. I mean, I think most of us know that we are, you know, and, and we are, the contributing factors to ma the mass extinction. So I think anything we can do, even in our own backyards, to just be more mindful and sustainable and realize that a garden, you know, this might be my vegetable garden, but I am not the one who lives in it. <laughs> There's lots of creatures yeah. from, you know, from, from like frogs and snakes and salamanders and insects. And there's so many creatures that live in it. And I encourage so many of those creatures. You know, I've learned from the great Jessica Walliser, um, who wrote Plant Partners, about companion planting and introducing, you know, um, pollinator and beneficial, you know, insect-friendly plants into my food garden. So oftentimes people will say to me, especially when I post photos on Instagram, they're like, um, this doesn't look like a vegetable garden because there's sunflowers and nasturtiums <laughs> and cosmos mixed with the tomatoes and cucumbers and lettuce and such, of course. Um, and I'm like, oh, it's, it's very productive. Don't worry. But those plants make my garden even more effective because they invite all the good bugs and they provide like habitat and food and I have water in there for them. Um, and by, you know, in creating a habitat and, and that invites all those good bugs and creatures and, and animals and stuff into your food garden, it's just going to give you more food. You know, the more pollinators that come, the more squash and cucumber and melon plants will get pollinated. Um, and that means you're going to have a larger harvest. So, you know, and I do cover that a little bit in Growing Undercover, yep. um, even in my polytunnel, you know, I include pollinator and companion plants to bring the bees into the polytunnel, to bring in the ladybugs and the beneficial insects. So yeah, to me, gardening with nature in mind, it's the only way to garden. Nikki Jabour is author of The Year-Round Vegetable Gardener, Veggie Garden Remix, and her most recent, Growing Undercover. She joins us this week to share more of her enthusiasm and her vegetable gardening knowledge. Stay with us. We'll be right back for more after a break. If you don't yet have your own copy of The Earth in Her Hands and would like a signed one, you can always order one from your local independent bookstore and then drop me a line by email, cultivatingplace at gmail.com, asking for a signed book plate. I'd be happy to get one in the post to you. You can also always order your signed copies online under the books tab at cultivatingplace.com. I have several great events coming up in which I will be sharing ever more about both The Earth in Her Hands and my new book, Under Western Skies, publishing on May 11th of 2021, in time for Mother's Day in the U.S. You can always find out more under the Events tab at CultivatingPlace.com. As we know, no matter what skies we garden under, the earth is in all of our hands. Keep bringing your joy and keep taking good care in your place. We're back now with Nikki Jabour, based in Halifax, Nova Scotia. 
Her vegetable gardening knowledge and skills are applicable no matter where you garden. And as we come back, she gets into more detail on some of the undercover skills she encourages us to try in order to extend our seasons or make each season more successful with simple techniques and materials. In the book, in the beginning of the book, Growing Undercover, you you have this great list of eight reasons to become an undercover gardener. And, and as we have already mentioned, this is not just about winter gardening and protecting plants from, from frost and snow, but it's about, you know, protecting them from sun and wind and deer and um, all, all of the things. So it, it really is a year-round gardening um, skill set, this idea of using exclosures and covers. So... The eight reasons to become an undercover gardener include grow more food, control the environment, harvest year-round, save money, reap a hyper-local harvest, reduce pest problems, grow the world, and DIY your way to more food. So I loved these eight reasons. And then the the table of contents um, gives you a really good idea for people who are listening uh, as to what all this covers, because it is extensive. So choosing a structure that fits your needs. And again, this goes from small cloches to raised beds with covers to big polytunnels and fancy greenhouses. Uh, starting small and really like learning the way a cold frame works or how to build one or wh- what kind of cloches do what kind of protection for you. Larger structures, growing the covered garden. So a lot of really basic uh, gardening Um, techniques and important things to keep in mind, like access to irrigation and testing your soil, and then setting up systems and finally preventing diseases, pests, and poor pollination. So it is a full circle uh, discussion in this book. So tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, some of the details about what you were trying to cover in the book. And, you know, who is your who is your target audience with this as well, Nikki? Well, you know, I, I'd like to think, uh, as I noted, you know, we chatted about earlier, greenhouses and covered structures have certainly, um, you know, come, come to the forefront in 2020 for sure. A lot of people have backyard structures, but more than ever, we're seeing those go up now. But I, I didn't want to just, you know, write a book for greenhouse growers or polytunnel growers. I want it to the person that just planted seeds last year for the first time. Right. I want them to realize that, these techniques are still for them. Mm-hmm. They can learn, you know, how to boost production and, and prevent those cabbage worms for sure, or keep deer out of your garden um, or rabbits or even their own pet dogs or cats. So um, I think it's a book for anyone who wants to grow food to just do so more effectively. Um, you know, so that was my goal. I didn't want to repeat myself, you know, and, and kind of rehash the year on vegetable gardener because that book, uh, I think the info still stands in it. Um, but I wanted to build on it and, and talk about so many other ways in the past 10 years that I've discovered uh, in my food garden, in my experimental farm in the backyard, how, you know, again, I've just been able to boost production and protect from pests and And of course, when you're starting to grow in a structure, whether it's a cold frame, a mini hoop tunnel, a dome, a polytunnel, the rules change a little bit because you have to be mindful of things like, well, if my mini hoop tunnel is covered, the plants aren't going to get water. So, you know, I talk about how to keep on top of that and how to know when you need to water and, you know, when do you need to vent and, and open these up for fresh air? So, you know, what kind of pests might you encounter in one of these structures if, if you're going to encounter a problem? Um, and one of my favorite things, honestly, is that I keep I mean, I have um, thermometers in my polytunnel and in my cold frames, and I am such a nerd. Like, so the first thing I do when I come down in the morning, when I put my tea on, I'm looking at the temperature in the polytunnel. Like, it doesn't matter if it's February or if it's August. <laughs> to me, it's just so much fun to track that right. over the course of a day. You know, it might start as like, okay, I'm going to go to Fahrenheit and this is going to be a problem, but it might start at like 40 Fahrenheit. But within an hour or two, it's all of a sudden up to 65 or 70, and then it's 90, you know, depending on the day and, and the weather. But you know, it's just so interesting to me to track that and see what's happening. So I always have that front and center in my kitchen and you don't need to, um, but it's just fun to, the, the more you play with these types of structures, the more you become, you, you understand, you know, what the weather, how it's going to affect them and, and what you need to do to keep your plants healthy and growing well. Right. So at your, in, in your garden, you have one big polytunnel or, or you have, yes. okay. And then you have many yeah. 
raised beds. Do all of your 20, I'm guessing it's still at 20, but maybe there's more now since 2016. Mm -hmm. um, do all of them get a, a cover in the winter or do just some of them? Just some of them, because it would be a lot of the things that are in the garden now, you know, in winter that I'm harvesting, like the carrots, um, some of the winter radishes, the beets, you know, um, a lot of the lettuce and the greens and the arugula and the parsley, like a lot of that stuff, like the carrots, for example, are planted in August, you know, or the lettuce is planted in September. So um, there's no way that I could fill everything for winter harvesting alone unless I stopped growing really by midsummer. Right. And then switch to winter production. So usually it's about half have some sort of food crop still going in it. And maybe there's a mini hoop tunnel, but only half of it is filled with lettuce because the other half had been, you know, summer squash, which is now gone, but the lettuce is still there and producing. So um, I try to make a garden plan in, you know, uh, usually January after the holidays. Uh, and, and I try to stick to it <laughs> with a succession planting plan. And I write, you know, I map out my garden beds. I have just like a, a little sketch. And then for each bed, I'll be like, going to start with arugula, then it's going to go to um, bush beans, then it's going to go to, a, a, you know, summer squash for August, September, and then it's going to go to spinach for like late fall. So I try to map that out for each bed, keeping in mind things like crop rotation as well and stuff like that. But yeah, so I do have one large polytunnel. It's a 14 by 24 foot polytunnel. And I can tell you right after we built it, and again, I was in this polytunnel looking at all the sheltered space. My first thought was, how am I going to fill this? <laughs> Just like, just like I did with the garden. Let me tell you, it's really easy. <laughs> it fills up pretty not, fast. Yeah. And you say really in the book fast. that it's one of your favorite places to hang out throughout the year. Describe what your polytunnel looks like right now and what it has in it, uh, Nikki, for people. And, and, and also just picture in your mind uh, as you're listening to Nikki that she has like twinkle lights up and it, it, it's like a little um, cottage in the woods. Like it's very, it's very <laughs> lovely structure. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I mean, I put a polytunnel up and, I, and I, at first I was kind of like, you know, I, I mean, I do my best to make things look as nice as possible, but this is a productive food garden and I don't put things up, you know, just because I think they're going to look nice right. on Instagram. <laughs> so I chose, yeah, you know, and I mean, it's, it's just the truth and I hope people don't mind that, but I, if I wanted an Instagram friendly structure, I would have probably paid 20 times as much and bought a, you know, beautiful greenhouse and that wasn't in my budget realistically. So I have a polytunnel and, you know, it costs far, far less, just a couple thousand dollars. And it's a very strong steel structure, um, you know, made like a commercial greenhouse. So I don't worry about hurricanes, which we get <laughs> quite a bit of. I don't worry about heavy snow um, because it can shed that. So that's why I went with this structure. And I thought, you know, if people don't think it looks nice, well, you know, I think it looks nice and that's just the way it's going to go. But inside we built these raised beds. So there's raised beds along the length, three feet wide. Um, and then the middle is empty right now because in the summer I have, you know, like the smart pot fabric beds mm -hmm. that go in mm -hmm. it and I fill those so that I can grow vining crops like tomatoes and cucumbers and melons to grow vertically and hang on strings and, and twine from the trusses, the steel trusses that cross the top. So in the back corner, um, we did put in a little seating area, which I, I featured in the book, but I, and I knew that was obviously going to take away from my growing space, but this is a structure I want it to live in and enjoy. So we made a small, I think it's seven by six feet, um, little patio stone structure with a beautiful turquoise bench and a, a, just a simple little wooden table. And, you know, more often than not, I am out there having tea or writing because the, the Wi-Fi goes all the way up to the back of the greenhouse. Um, and, you know, in 2020, where we were locked down for a long time, especially like in Nova Scotia, we were completely locked down. You couldn't even go to a park um, for quite a while to, to squash the initial um, outbreak. So, you know, the polytunnel became, you know, in March, it's cold here. We still get a lot of snow. But when the temperature is above zero and the sun is out, it was 20 degrees Celsius, which is about 70 Fahrenheit in that structure. So, and not only was I up there all the time, my teenagers were as well. And they took all my straw bales and they made straw bale beds and straw bale furniture in the back of the polytunnel. <laughs> and they would nap up there and they would just hang out up there when we couldn't do or go anywhere else. So, you know, it was great <laughs> to have that sheltered space in 2020. Um, but it's always a welcome space and everybody loves to sit up there. And, uh, you know, usually it's quite in the summer, it's a jungle. 
you know, that whole center line where the fabric pots are with the vining vegetables, it's just out of control. Wonderful. Reach out and grab some sun gold tomatoes. Reach out and grab a cucumber melon. Um, you know, there's lots of herbs and lettuce in there. Right now there's lettuces and carrots and beets and scallions and artichoke plants that are overwintering beneath their nice dense layer of straw. Because even though I'm zone five, I grow artichokes in this unheated structure and I can overwinter them with a little bit of extra protection. So there's a lot of salad greens in the winter in there. There's no heat except for um, the sunshine. Um, but you know what? It's such an effective space. And you know, when you go from a mini hoop tunnel or a cold frame, you know, they're very useful. I, I think you know, people should start with them for sure. But when you go to a space where you can stand up and you can sit down and it's a sheltered space, it just kind of really ups your garden game. It increases your growing space, but it's just so much more comfortable to be puttering you know, in a polytunnel in April versus, you know, outside by your cold frames. Right, right. And, and that I think is also one of the, you know, as, as anybody gets more deeply involved in this, that's one of the, the keys to success is, is making sure it's, you know, one accessible. And you talk a lot about this, like placing things and citing things where you will see them, where you can get to them and um, placing irrigation where it will be easy to water the beds as you need to. Um, and uh, that being able to stand up actually does make a big difference over a long oh, period yeah. of time. And then one of the beautiful things, and, and you go over this, is in that polytunnel, you're able to raise the side. So as it gets too hot in mm. the summer or in the winter, depending on the sun, you know, you can ventilate. It allows pollinators in and out. It helps, you know, deal with some of the pest issues like buildup of fungus or white fly or whatever. And having raised beds inside that space gives you some of that in insulation um, component. Can you talk about that sort of one layer being better than two layers or, or no, sorry, two layers being better than one <laughs> layer, uh, especially when you are not going to put in the, the expensive equipment required for heating such a space? Mm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I even thought about, should I put a fan in? Fans are noisy, honestly, and they, they use energy. And so the roll up sides, um, honestly, they're all I need that, you know, when you buy a polytunnel package, you know, that's usually an, an extra, uh, but one I was happy to pay extra for, and it's something you can also DIY. There's lots of videos on how to DIY roll up sides, uh, as well. But yeah, I mean, in the summer they're open all the time, rolled up to about halfway, um, you know, up the greenhouse structure that way air can flow really well. Um, and as you mentioned, the bees and the beneficial insects can fly in. Some people put insect, uh, you know, netting so that you can't get the insects inside your polytunnel. And oftentimes for certain types of crops, you don't want the pollination if they're self-pollinating, um, you know, but I want the bees in my structure. So we make sure it's wide open most of the time. The doors are open, the windows are open, um, but it's very quiet. I didn't want a noisy fan in there. Um, so definitely we did that. And then when the temperature gets cold, like now, and it's freezing in winter, I do double up my protection. You know, I have portable polycarbonate cold frames, so they can be lifted and moved into the greenhouse, the polytunnel, and they just offer uh, an extra layer of protection. So instead of all of a sudden, you know, in, I'm in zone five, you add a polytunnel, you're kind of in zone six, you add a, another layer of protection in there. Gosh, I'm in zone seven, which is getting close. <laughs> it's getting close to Kentucky again, let me tell you, <laughs> which is, which I miss. Right, right. Um, but, you know, or, or you don't have to do that. You can use wire hoops, you know, buy nine gauge wire from the hardware store, cut them in six or seven foot lengths, put those over your, your little beds in your greenhouse or your polytunnel or your dome, and then just put row cover or polyethylene, you know, plastic sheeting over top. And that's the same type of thing. It, it's a secondary cover. It's going to trap more heat. Um, it's going to, you know, cool off slower during the night as well. And it's just going to help shelter your crops even better in winter if you're in a cold climate. So I absolutely double up in my polytunnel in winter. The artichokes are under that layer of straw. Lettuces and other crops are under that extra layer of row cover. Nikki, as we come to a close you know it's the it's the winter of 2021 um our our world has been in upheaval for you know very close to a full year now and you know gardening has been on on the minds of people who've never had it on their mind before and you've talked about this some in terms of your own experience in your in your garden, in your greenhouse with your teenagers. But, you know, in light of COVID-19 and in light of 
real communal and collective consciousness shifts in our world to do with, you know, everything, climate crisis, political polarizations, community health and social justice. Have Has this last year deepened your gardening commitment or practice or it's, it's deeper, uh, bigger, um, importance in your life? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I think obviously the pandemic has affected, I mean, pretty much every aspect of our lives. I mean, I, I did things like I definitely enlarged my plantings in 2020. I did little pandemic potato patches just to grow more food. And, um, you know, I, I had to do that thing where we all did called pivoting, yeah. where, you know, seeds were a hot commodity. And it was hard to stick to an, the original garden plan I had drawn up last January. And that that didn't work. I couldn't get the seeds I wanted. Companies ran out. So we changed plans. So I think, you know, the message for me is to share is, is you know, you don't, things aren't always going to go according to plan in the garden, in our lives. I got out as much as I could in the garden. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't what I had originally planned, but in its own way, it was perfect. I enjoyed the space. You know, the family enjoyed the space. I grew lots of food. Um, you know, I, I chased the deer out several times. Uh, you know, I built more compost piles. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, and I guess the best thing of all is that the wonder of planting a seed and watching it grow didn't disappear for me. I still love it. And I, I still get so excited when the seed catalogs come in the mail. I still circle everything. And then I circle back and go, okay, you can't have everything. Let's, let's be realistic. <laughs> I love learning from other people and seeing what they grow and how they grow it and why they grow it. And maybe, maybe I should grow that too. So 2020 was a challenging year in life into the garden, um, but it certainly didn't squash my love of gardening. I think it maybe intensified it, made me appreciate it more than I, maybe I hadn't in a couple of years, you know, and, and it made me appreciate the fact that I could grow food for my family and my extended family and my neighbors. And, and to share that food or even the meals you make from that food, um, you know, it, it's just, it was a deeper connection. So I think 2020 reminded me of that and, and why I love to garden. Yeah. Is there anything else you would like to add? Gosh, you know, I just want people to go out there. Don't be afraid to experiment in their gardens or don't be afraid to break ground on your first garden. If you thought about it and you didn't get to do it, um, you know, make this the year you, you break ground, you know, don't, don't, don't worry that everything has to be perfect because it doesn't never is in my garden. Um, but have fun, you know, try something new, always try something new every year. Uh, and, and again, just enjoy yourself and, and enjoy the meals. Like there's no satisfaction, like the satisfaction of picking your own vegetables for yourself and your family, really. So just go out there and have fun and just don't be afraid to start. Yeah. Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today. It's been invigorating talking to you and now it, it's going to make me want to order more seeds and build more uh, structures to protect my babies. <laughs> well, I love that. Thank you so much. As you know, I've been a huge fan of the podcast for years. So it's truly an honor to be chatting with you today and sharing this with you. So thank you. Nikki Jabor is an enthusiastic and knowledgeable gardener based in Halifax, Nova Scotia. She's the host of the radio program and podcast, The Weekend Gardener. She's co-founder of the online Savvy Gardening Forum, and she's an award-winning best-selling author of beloved gardening books, including The Year-Round Vegetable Gardener. Nikki Jabor is a vegetable gardening evangelist, and she makes it easy to learn and love gardening, vegetable gardening especially, no matter where we live. Join us again next week when we're joined by Lorena Gorbett of the Maidu Summit Consortium in Northern California. Cultivating Place is produced from a base on ancestral and present homelands of the Machupta Maidu. And I'm so grateful to be in conversation with Lorena about land back under the care of Maidu people and their traditional ecological knowledge of this, their home place. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, and the podcast and its outreach is listener-supported over at cultivatingplace.com. Thank you to listeners like you who make this program possible with your contributions there. 
Also over on the website, see many photographs of the intrepid and enthusiastic Nikki Jabour in her vegetable garden in Halifax. It's inspiring. Our producer and engineer is Matt Fiddler. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.